welcome to another episode of You Haven't Seen That, the podcast where my co-host Eric watches the films that he missed growing up. My name is Chris and I am joined by Eric. Hey everybody. And uh, we got a good one this week. This was a massive one for me as a kid. Yeah, it's one I really didn't know that much even existed till I was an adult. Yeah. Um, but it's, um, it's Escape from New York. New York, 1997. The entire city is a walled maximum security prison. The bridges are mined. The rivers are patrolled. And the United States Police Force has everything under control. I'm going in. One man must go in where no man has ever gotten out. John Carpenter's Escape from New York. The greatest escape of them all is about to blow the future apart. Yeah, John Carpenter's 1981 massive cult film. Yeah, Yeah. that's... Yep, I didn't realize that. (laughs) (laughs) So this is, um... Yeah, kind of... This falls early in the canon of the, uh... The Carpenter-Russell... Yes. Team ups. They kind of had a bit of a Scorsese De Niro. Because they had. I've seen them in um, The Thing. Mm hmm. What else did they have? Uh, before that, they did. I, the first time they worked together was a made for TV movie uh, about Elvis. Oh. Uh, in 1979. Okay. So two Gosh, years before okay. this. Yep. Um, where Kurt Russell played Elvis and John Carpenter directed it, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then post Escape from New York, you have The Thing. Yep. Which is 82. Mm-hmm. So like only a year later, yeah, and then you've got um, Big Trouble in Little China. Oh yeah, that was both of them. Yeah, yeah. and okay. then there is another Escape from movie that I'll we'll discuss later. Okay, <laughs> Grandma's House. Uh, yeah, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well have been. Okay. okay. Mm. Oh, Escape from LA. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah, I can imagine. It's always where else could we put the next one? Yeah. yeah. Los Angeles is big. Mm. Well, apparently they, they had always planned to kind of do a trilogy and yep. they um, were planning on doing a final one that was Escape from Space. <laughs> like, just okay. go absolutely bonkers Okay, yep. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. And yep. then that just kind of, because Escape from LA is... Didn't do very well. It's Escape from LA. <laughs> that's yep. the best way to describe it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so space never occurred. That's a pity. Yeah. I mean, I guess Kurt went in through a Stargate later on. Exactly. That's the closest we got. And yeah. John Carpenter did Ghosts of Mars. Oh, um, yeah. I never saw that <laughs> on, on purpose. Yeah. But, um, okay, so you have no idea about this one? Really? No, I really don't. Um, I, I've i got the, the Blu-ray cover in front of me. Mm-hmm. I, I, for some reason, pictured zombies, but I feel like now looking at this, it's... Simpler than that, as the thing suggests. It's a New Yorker's world maximum security prison. Breaking out is impossible. Breaking in is insane. <laughs> so but the you, artwork is awesome. Yeah, it's a great... It's a kind of new remastered um, yeah. uh, Blu-ray. It's pretty great. Um, so what do you think uh, psychoptic Kurt Russell is going to be up to? <laughs> Obviously, uh, breaking into a prison, I guess. Well, yeah, I guess he must be. Um, we, yeah, no, I got no idea. It's called Escape. But he's going in mm. to help someone escape. Possibly. Maybe. Or bring down them walls. Mm. I'm not sure. Got the Statue of Liberty on there. We've got a cobra for some reason. So I'm intrigued to find out the relevance of the cobra. Oh, 
yeah. So you don't know anything even. No, I know like, nothing. Oh, okay. Well, I, uh, yep. What do you, What do you think his name might be? Is he's holding a, a what is it a massive gun and he's got an eye patch like? <laughs> um, I was gonna say Steve, but that's Toby's cat. <laughs> Um, <laughs> what happens when you record an episode at Toby's house the, yep. the time before? Um, oh, I'm drawing a blank. Unless it's just literally Snake, which would be hilarious. Call me Snake. Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the snake helped me out there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and is this maybe the inspiration for Snake from Metal Gear Solid? Hideo uh, yeah. Kojima has openly said that this film was a massive inspiration uh, to there him. There we go. Okay. And so that, yep. Solid Snake Because that's why I didn't want to say it. I'm like, he looks too much like Snake. Yes. But I guess... <laughs> there you go. Kojima is an interesting man and would... um yeah. he's, he's a uber nerd who likes his... Yes, he certainly <laughs> is. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, okay. So, uh, Kurt Russell, a.k.a. Snake, is going to New York to do something. Something, yeah. Right. Um, so... I know the artwork of the, the helicopters and the, the, like, the riot guard and the barbed wire and the twin towers in the background... Just looks awesome. Mm. It looks as sinister and faceless, which is pretty cool. Um, so there's no like uh, identity, I guess, uh, are there. And um, I've never, so I've seen Kurt Russell in a few things. I've seen him in Stargate. Mm-hmm. I love the Stargate TV series. I saw the movie a bit later. It's fine. Yeah. Kurt Russell in it is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, yeah, he's playing the villain, isn't he? And it's no, like James Spader is the... Like... No, he plays the um, Richard Dean Anderson character. Oh, Essentially, okay. he plays yeah. like the lead... Um, I thought uh, he was... Delta Force yeah. guy or yeah. Marine or whatever he is. And mm. Spader plays the um, the archaeologist character. Yeah, it's been like two decades. Since yeah, I know. Yeah, so. I've seen it a couple of times. Um, so I have seen him in that and I've seen him in um, the thing. He's, he's fabulous in the thing. But otherwise, I really haven't seen that much Kurt Russell, really. Um... Nothing Probably really in his like recent Tarantino resurgence or anything. I've seen him in Death Proof. Yep. Yep. Good point. Um, and, um, yeah, he's also now he's become like a staple actor for Tarantino. Like, yeah, he has. Like, he's he? time in Hollywood and things. So of course, yeah. yeah. So I haven't really seen him in any in much of his early stuff. So be um, this is clearly very early on for him. Mm, yeah, this is real. Um, well, kind of not really. He was a child actor for Disney. Seriously? Yeah. He could, oh. He's like in an episode of Gilligan's Island where he plays Tarzan as a little boy and things. Boy. It's a jungle boy. Oh my gosh, okay. He, computer wore tennis shoes. He was one of those staple, like a little Ron Howard kind of a wow. child Disney actor. And he took a very different path to Ron Howard. Yeah, and well, this is <laughs> kind of him teaming up with John Carpenter was like him as like in, you know, Breaking early him. to mid 20s kind of trying to break from that yep. child actor Disney mold and. This is... And off he went. Yeah, put on an eye patch, grab a gun, and go for it. Go shoot some stuff and become someone else. A bit like um, like Willis in Die Hard. Yeah, exactly. He'd yeah. been known as a comedic actor on yeah. television, so... And he's forged a career as something pretty much the opposite of that. Yeah. Um, um, before we jump into it, I want to... Like, um, so, John Carpenter, you're familiar, obviously, with The Thing, and I'm guessing Halloween? Yes. Yeah. Yep. And so, his music. Oh, yeah. Awesome <laughs> music. Yep. Um, which I'm sure we'll end up discussing a lot in the episode. Mm-hmm. But um, what genre do you reckon this one's going to be? So I, I always pictured sci-fi. Because yep. like I said, I had zombies in mind for some reason. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe we've got... There's something weird going on in there. Alright, Because cool. um, so, he is a very obviously genre-heavy Yeah, exactly. Maker, so. And um, based on those other ones, <laughs> sci-fi definitely seems right. pretty predominant. So like a sci-fi mystery thriller kind of thing. Right. It'd be interesting to see how action-heavy it is. Yeah. If it if it is 
like the Metal Gear Solid games, it's more just about stealth and sneaking about. Sneaking about. And occasionally dealing some weird stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so I'll be intrigued, really intrigued. Um, cause, so you grew up on this one. I did, yeah. This was a massive, massive one. I think uh, my mum was a big fan of it. Yep. Um, and so this was, um, yeah, I, I watched this probably when I was about eight or so. It always amazes me how much your mum, like her just wide appreciation for so many different types of things. And weird stuff as yeah, well. Yeah, to be like, able to like, well, she's just a big sci-fi nerd. So she was just yeah. like, dig into this. Yeah. And it's one where I think she was like, yeah, there's nothing too hardcore in it. Like, <laughs> but then that like, like made me love and appreciate Kurt Russell and John Carpenter. And yep. then like going from that to like the thing and Big yep. Little China, like all of the kind of stuff that they went on to do but this is kind of the gateway drug yeah it's <laughs> <laughs> once you've had a taste yeah <laughs> well on that note should we jump in yeah let's find out uh, what on earth is inside this prison Escape from New York. Yeah, that was good culty fun. Yeah, that's a good way to describe yeah. it. it. It really, like, it's so easy to see why this became such a cult film. Yeah, because it's not as though it's, like, epic, or it's not as though it's just got this incredibly detailed, clever story or something like that. Mm. It's just a fun idea executed well. It reminds <laughs> me a lot of watching it this time and mm. of, like, the first Terminator film. Yes. Where it's, like simple but clever and executed really well on a low budget kind of just yep. nice and there's like glimpses of a bigger world out there but we just kind of are focused on this little aspect of it yep one little story within this world yeah and and it's a world that you want to know a bit more about mm. but you're never really given any more and you don't need any more yeah well randomly there there was a comp- uh, opening scene that was completely cut that okay. was snake getting arrested robbing the federal reserve Oh, okay. And they were, like, just kind of realising it while editing the film that it's just like, you don't need that no. at all. You need that kind of mystique and, like, yep. interest around Snake. Yeah, yeah, and you need him to go in as this... Like, I was asking you halfway through the film, like, why does everybody know who he is? Mm. But you don't really need to know why. No. He's just, like, this famous mythical character. He's, like you said, his aura precedes him. and Yeah, it's such an interesting backstory because he starts off as a uh, two-purple-heart like war hero yes. that then, I'm assuming, got like disillusioned with it sounds like America it. and then turned to crime. <laughs> yeah, somehow ended up a very good criminal. A, a vigilante or something mm. like, yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, I guess that's probably a reflection on the... St- in America, where all of Manhattan needs to be turned into a giant prison. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so America, and the world, I guess, because there's the 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 summit um, with between um, America, China, and Russia. Mm. Um, man, though, as soon as they mentioned that Air Force One was going down, <laughs> oh, yeah. So I, I said I knew nothing about it. I'm like, why would he be going in there? It must be a rescue mission. The freaking president. President of what? That's not funny, Pliskin. Yeah, the the president of the United States plane gets hijacked by some woman. The American Liberation that, yeah, Army, or, something like yeah. that. Yep. Tell this to the workers when they ask where your leader went. We, the soldiers of the National Liberation Front of America, 
in the name of the workers and all the oppressed of this imperialist country have struck a fatal blow to the racist police state. And they crash their, the prison's plane into the New York prison, send in Snake. Like, yeah. Enter Snake Plissken. <laughs> yeah, and then the, the president bails out his little red pod, and um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then off you go. And... Um, yeah, there's just a, so I, don't, I don't know what else to say about that. That's no. he meets a couple of characters along the way. It's, yeah, it's interesting because it's not like it reminded me because of the New York setting and the the, the nighttime setting. Um, for most of it, it, reminded me a bit of the Warriors. Oh with, yeah, with all the yeah. different clans and or gangs he bumps into. Yeah, there wasn't really any of that. Mm. Um, wasn't really Mad Maxi. I mean, it kind of was. Um, Mad Max Two with like the one big boss sort of thing, but yeah. And you got the Thunderdome uh, boxing yes. match essentially. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, it's kind of like a pastiche of a lot of kind of, um, New Yorky gang and post-apocalyptic stuff. It's just kind of a just, m- melting pot of a bunch of yep. different yep. styles and genre thrown in with, um, Kurt Russell doing, uh, just a Clint Eastwood impersonation. Basically. Yeah. Uh, like well, that's actually what he's doing. Oh, well, you got, yeah. Yeah. Well and done. then they cast Lee Van Cleef as, uh, Hulk and he was like, oh no, this is even more perfect. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he was, he was, apart from his random earring, he was great. Yeah. It's so weird. I, I, yeah. I don't know what it is, but when you see someone over the age of 65 with an earring, mm. it's odd. It's like Harrison Ford, man, just take out that earring. Well, particularly <laughs> like in this role, his uniform, He's, he's like very much a uniformed officer. He plays by the rules. He has like a leather bound mahogany office. Yeah, that office is full of just rich, rich leather and mahogany. And then he's got a gold <laughs> earring for some reason. And it's not even a small one, it's a big old hoop. Yeah, he's like almost piratey. Um, As I said, he's probably just going through some things. Yeah, right now. yeah I think that was his like, No, the ring stays or you lose me. Yeah, exactly. Do you want me to keep running the American police force? Yeah. <laughs> oh, so funny! But like, it's those little things that make this movie so fun. Like the American police force, yeah, like, the, 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 the U- United States police, yeah, force. the USPF. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's these little background details and things that you're just like, oh, that's nice, that's fun, yeah. that's clever. Like, uh, I reckon if you had um, Paul Verhoeven directing, they'd be a subdivision of the USPS. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There'd be some weird, uh, stupid kind of corporate sort of thing in there. Mm. But that's also another one. You've got a little bit of kind of RoboCop influence. Mm-hmm. Like this clearly like inspires a little bit of RoboCop. Police the state gangs, kind the of police thing. state stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it, for what it is, which was a little low budget, unique film, it kind of went on to have this massive legacy and influence a lot of things. Well, like for low, yeah, like a relatively low budget film to go, we're going to essentially set it in Manhattan. You're not you're aiming pretty high immediately. Yeah, like well, it is a big scope idea. Yeah. Of the film. Like we're going to land on top of the world trade center. Like yeah. we, we're in, we're not dodging around the big buildings. We're freaking using them. Yeah. We're um, using New York. Yeah. Um, and they had sets for like the library and grand central station and things like that. Yeah. They hit like the key moments, like mm. you know, the key areas of New York with the exception of central park, you know, kind of yeah, it didn't really get that at all, mm. but even like the train yards and stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah. they just got very lucky in that they filmed in uh, East St. Louis after mm. a massive urban fire had kind of gone through this area. It was like the lower income kind of areas of yep. St. Louis. And so um, they before the city kind of went in to clean it up, they were like, hey, can we just 
quickly use yeah. these burnt out like three four square blocks that's so cool yeah you were telling me that during the film and that is just like good timing I mean yeah, yeah like I, I, I know I'd see why you pause yeah because you don't want it yeah yeah but it's it, it adds so much depth and kind of instant production to the film when yes. you can see like several blocks down like yeah. no electricity no lights burnt out rubble and it's things. not one street with a yeah matte painting or whatever you put at the end to block it off yeah or, um, or you're not shooting it so close like that's yeah. what this film so easily could have been true like, yeah close ups and tight camera angles and very clearly inside sets but because they had that the opportunity the space to, yeah, yeah they shoot it big wide have like burning tires and garbage mm. cans like off in the distance to uh, like uh, give you the scale that we are actually in Manhattan yes and like the scene where the guy goes around dinging on the um the sewer grate yeah. and the crazies or whatever come out I got the crazies. Yeah. Um, you get like this, yeah, you, you, you put it really well there. You actually get a sense of scope. Like he hides behind a car and the crazies are coming from the distance. It's mm. not just like a shot on him and then a shot of running mob and a shot on him. And he, Or he quickly runs into a building or something. Yeah. And like, I mean, he does eventually, but... <laughs> but there's quite a bit of space used and mm. um, yeah, it gives you that scale, which, yeah, I didn't really think about. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, we were saying also like, Fallout 3 clearly took a lot of um, design. Yeah. I, or I feel like it did anyway. I never put those two together, but that is like 100% right. Like That's what just, the streets of DC and stuff look like in Fallout 3. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> just like that, even that like amount of spacing of rubble. Yeah. Um, and things, yeah. Um, I want to ask like how you found the pacing of the film, because I know that's a lot of people have issues with it sometimes like because there's obviously like two camps of people mm. that absolutely love this film and then others that are very eh on yeah it. Uh, yeah I didn't expect it to be any faster yeah like I said at the start I think I wasn't anticipating it to be a heavy duty action film yeah um, like just set piece after set piece uh, there was a little bit in the middle where I was just wishing something would speed up a little bit. It, it takes its time and it's, it's very much like a product of like seventies yeah. filmmaking. Um, but then it, then once he'd really, um, which point was it? I think once they got their hands on the president, then it sort of moved along from that point onwards. Post boxing match. Po- uh, no, actually, even um, when they, um, re- he rescued him from the railway car. Oh, the train yard. Yeah, yep. the train okay. yard. Yeah. yeah. Um, but definitely, bo- boxing match onwards, it's um, relatively fast-paced for yeah. the film. Who are you? Alex and me, and we've got to move fast. Move fast? You're goddamn right, I'll move fast. Be quiet. But I reckon once they linked up with the president, then it kind of picked up and had a bit more um, mobility to it or whatever, mm. um, motion. Because it does take about like 30 or 40 minutes or so once Snake finally arrives in New York to kind of... It really takes its time to establish this is the world we're in. Mm. Like, you know, you have the crazies attack, you have him yep. just wandering around, uh, meeting girl at chock full of nuts. Take me out with you, Snake. Why? I can think of lots of reasons why. Yep. Uh, Kurt Russell's then wife, uh, Susan Yes, Hulley. yeah. Um, he but, just gets so, even he gets bored and sits on a chair. Exactly. <laughs> it's just, just milking it for time, I guess. Yep. And, but yeah, it is, they cut. He does work it out in a way where he establishes tone, world, yep. and then kind of puts all the chess pieces in the right order. Yeah. Like you've, you've got Cabby, you've got Brain and Maggie, like everyone's kind of set up. Yep. And it works quite well that way too, because at the point where he walks around, he just almost gives up and sits down. Yeah. 
Because where do you start? Yeah, where do you start hunting for somebody in Manhattan once it turns out their emergency beacon's attached to another guy's wrist? Oh, the best crazy drunk man. Oh, he's so good. Mr. President. I'm the president. Sure, I'm the president. I, I, I knew when I, I got this thing, I, I'd be president. <laughs> but yeah, it's like he is on a hunt for like a, a needle in a haystack, yeah. essentially. And so he, you do need that slow leg work kind mm. of scenes and like the establishment of like it's I love the aspect that the guy that knows everyone is the cab driver hell I know everybody in this town yes sir I've been driving this cab for 30 years this very same cab yes like it's such a little like, little New York. New York thing yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. and then they're like yeah his name's cabbie yep <laughs> <laughs> and brain is brain because he's the smart guy yeah they don't muck around yep. and duke is just like the royalty sort of guy yeah um and snake is dangerous venomous oh he's got a sweet cobra like tattooed on his belly oh, he does like imagine walking into the the tattoo parlor and being like all right this is what i want he's like really yes do it now <laughs> I've got a bat with nails on it. Do you want me to lift up the eye patch? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently that was Kurt Russell's idea for Snake to have an eye patch. Really? Like it was not written in the script. Carpenter had no idea. No. Kurt Russell showed up on the first day of set and was like, what do you think about this? <laughs> Carpenter's like, put, a, put another cigarette in his mouth. He was like, I love it. <laughs> it's, it's It just makes him so distinctive. Yeah. Um, and because the film isn't, because he's got this undescribed backstory and... Mm. Um, He's not a hulking Terminator. He's quite silent. It just gives him more of an image rather than a um, vocal presence. Yeah, and um, like, but... like Die Hard, Bruce Willis talks to himself the whole film. Yeah, they and they apparently a lot of that was improvised just because Willis is, like we said, was comedic kind of actor mm. things. So the quipping kind of came from that. Yeah, whereas I don't think Kurt Russell could quip. Uh, I, uh, I reckon he could now, but I'm not sure if he could have back then. Just wait till we eventually watch Tango and Cash. Okay. Oh, yes. Alone. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but um, I know, I'm a diehard Kurt Russell fan. Oh, I don't dislike him. I'm just wondering if he has that ability I reckon, to, I reckon, to carry a film in that way. I reckon you could give him some quip, but he yep. he cleverly knows what the exact character mm-hmm. the snake is. Yeah. And it's, it's one way, the second you look at him, the design of the character, you're yep. like, Okay, yeah, that guy's a badass. You're just a mysterious killer. Don't take his handcuffs off. Yeah, and I noted watching the film that there's very... It's such a great role because there's very little dialogue. Mm. He's just kind of there and reacting and being stoic. He's quite Mad Maxi. Yeah, he's Action Man. But past Mad Maxi original where he actually has... Yeah, like like lines like Road Warrior. Road Warrior onwards, yeah. Yeah. Um, and particularly the most recent where we did barely talks. Yeah, yeah. And that's it. He is just that iconic character that mm. will occasionally be like, that's a trap. Yes, yes. <laughs> just thinking of Max. But it's, yep. yeah, it is the look of the character speaks for itself. And mm. then you put on top of that him doing, he's essentially doing like a uh, man with no name. Like he yes. openly said he's stealing and doing a Clint Eastwood impersonation. Yep. And it is just like, because you look at Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, Fistful yep. of Dollars, he's a stoic hero. Mm, yeah. And anti-hero, so he's just doing that. And it's yeah. great. It works, because it just lets the setting take over. Yeah. Um, I mean, the story's not a powerful one, but it doesn't need to be, because it's just the concept is just enjoyable. And like I said, it's executed well. And you were talking throughout about they used every film trick in the book. Yeah, this is one where it's like, just throw whatever we can, yeah. practical-wise. Like, down to the point of, like, uh, when... 
snakes kind of flying into the city on the glider and it's mm. the 3D modeling on the radar. CGI didn't exist in 1980. This blew my mind, yeah. So it's actually a model with white tape and a green light shot on it and they're just, it's just video and it's film. Yeah, so it's those like, if you can't picture it, I haven't seen the movie, it's those classic like 80s buildings represented by green lines and that's it. Yeah, the Tron-esque The Tron-esque grid, yeah, Yeah. they're they're grid buildings. Um, And there were two ways you could kind of do that back then and one was animating it, but that was expensive, or just bang together a like undetailed model yep. essentially so it's almost like the Star Wars trench run kind of, yeah essentially basically but and then um, after this film actually uh, the model of the city was repurposed and added onto and rebuilt to be this uh, Los Angeles 2019 for Blade Runner really yeah wow so like we got this like base of a model like we built it and they, there was quite a bit to it yeah um, obviously because the shots went for quite a long time and mm. the building shape varied a lot so yeah and there's a lot of really great little in-camera tricks like the um, uh, the opening shot when mm. when we've got like the statue uh, statue of Libby on Ellis Island and things yeah like is it Ellis Island? Uh, Liberty Island. Liberty like, Island. It's sorry. just because it yeah. said it. Ellis is right next door from memory. Yeah. So you've got the Statue of Liberty and then the ca- camera kind of pans down and you've got like the security station and yeah. then it goes into black and then yep. fades back out like as if you're panning on the other side of the building and all of a sudden we're in St. Louis. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, apparently this was the first film ever allowed to shoot on uh, Liberty Island as well. So they did actually shoot those ground scenes on Liberty. That Island. was actually really? the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. So. Wow, that's very cool. And because they were like, we need like two. Hours. Give us two hours. Yeah, there they, they weren't many scenes, were there? There was no, just that, that, was that early it, stuff. Because really. mm, yeah. all, all the other airbase stuff looked to me like it was shot on the back of a dam. Yeah, I think like a hydroelectric plant mm. or a dam or something like that. Yeah. Like it just looked like it had that sort of wall behind it, but it looked like it had the turbiney mm. bits and pieces. And I want to say in that opening shot with the Statue of Liberty having that, like, helicopter wrap around it, that's actually a miniature, hel- like, a little toy helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> like, so there's a lot of miniatures and matte paintings have been utilised. Yep. Um, James Cameron was actually a matte painter on this film. Seriously? Pre, because uh, he got his Yeah, time, true, because he was only a few years later, wasn't he? Mm. Um, so he was a special effects guy and a matte painter before he did uh, became a director, so... Yep. This is one of his first credits. <laughs> Fantastic, yeah. What? Yeah. Hmm. Um, but um, jumping back to Snake, we were talking yes. about how much of an iconic kind of character he is. How'd you find Kurt in the role? Oh, fine. Like, like, like you said, he he plays the um, the Clint Eastwood. Um, <laughs> he he plays it beautifully. Um, he's he's not like an unstoppable superhero. You know, he'll get the job done, but he gets shot in the leg with an arrow fairly early on. And he gets knocked out with a tire iron. Yeah, exactly. He gets beaten up in the boxing ring. You know he's going to win because he has to. But um, it's not as though he just starts un- unleashing some crazy kung fu moves. That you're like, where'd that come from? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's kind of nice that like every person that he kind of comes across in his journey um, like opens with, I thought you were dead. I thought you were dead. Heard you were dead. Yeah, but I heard you were dead. Listen, Snake, I swear to God, I thought you were dead. Yeah, you and everybody else. Mm, yeah. Which is like a nice little touch that's like, oh, yeah, he is just an everyman kind of hero guy. Yeah. He's not Superman. Like, no. everyone just assumes he de- he was dead long ago. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, like, oh, you're just this guy who has a reputation. Yeah. Um, yeah, so no, I, th- I thought he was good. I thought, like, he was consistent, like, his attitude and... Um, like uh, at the start when he's like, um, call me Snake or whatever. And then at the end, you know, he's swapped it around and he's... Just to be combative for the sake of... Yeah, and he's not there to... 
Like he says to Van Cleef's character at the start, when I get back, I'm going to kill you. When I get back, I'm going to kill you. And then at the end, like, just he doesn't. Because he just, like, what? he doesn't need to. He's not like this awful, vengeful character. You going to kill me now, Snake? I'm too tired. Maybe later. He's just like, ugh. He just has an attitude. Yeah, and he's like, yeah, he, he doesn't just, he's not a psychopath. Mm. Um, he's just, yeah. Had enough he's, of it all. He's ambivalent. And then I guess that is really rammed home with the president's actions at the very end of the film. Yeah. And that, and then I think that gives you the final sort of uncapping of why an ex-war veteran, hey, like um, like Rambo, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> basically hates the system. I totally forgot about how this, like, I, mm. I knew it ended with him, like, walking away and he swaps out the tapes. Yep. But I forgot the asking for a minute of the president's time. Yeah. And how that's played, I was like, oh, this is kind of dark. Yeah. Yes? We did get you out. A lot of people died in the process. I just wondered how you felt about it. Well, I... <clears throat> I want to thank them. Uh, this nation appreciates their sacrifice. Uh, look, um, uh, I'm on the air and... Uh, two and a half minutes. Yes, sir. And that moment is where I think, yeah, you, you get that real like, oh, this is why everyone hates the government in this in this current setting in this world. Yeah. And that's why this war hero, or whatever he was, um, tried to rob the federal. Yeah, Reserve. just got, lost faith in his country. Yeah. Um, well, apparently, uh, just on that note of losing faith in the country and things, uh, Carpenter originally wrote the film in the mid '70s as a reaction to Watergate. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yep. uh, but no studio wanted to make it uh, because it was te- deemed too dark and too violent, and that yep. kind of all changed after he made Halloween in 1978. Like, if people most, wanted to work with him. The most yeah. profitable independent film of all time. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. take our money. Yeah. Yep. So, but yeah, that's kind of interesting. Like, I mm. could, like, when I was doing the research and found that out, I was like, oh, that's... Odd. I can't remember there being that much political stuff. No, because it doesn't dwell on it. It's got the moment at the start, like the, the liberation, a lady taking over the plane and um, and uh, bringing up the imperialist dogs or whatever. Mm. And then you just, like, snakes, one of those war heroes has gone off the tree. And then at the end, you just get that, that one little bit and you're like, aha. Uh-huh. I get it. It all kind of fits together now. Yeah, you get enough of... And then his character motivations or... And, sort of all come together but in the meantime you've just kind of got to know him it's, yeah, it's quite clever and simple mm. it's interesting because it is a film that like it's simple and clever but it's not obvious and kind of no on front street and ramming home points yeah it's like, not slamming stuff at you like this is a film that's been floated around for years saying it was going to be remade and yes like, I it's, can imagine. it's kind of always in the works yeah and I think it's now actually going ahead again with our Lee Wan L the guy that oh um Sora, yeah who actually made a film last year called Upgrade that's actually pretty fun. Yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, it's... It, I, I just have, I'm like so cautious that if you were to do this nowadays, you would have to be so blunt and blatant with everything. Like, you probably have this whole... Like, just subtle little twinges of... No, you could... Um, it'd be fascinating. Like, you could go just blatant. Yeah. Or you could go for awkward blatant, like The Purge. Yeah, yeah. You know, okay. how that sort of, like, has its gimmicks, but has some pretty clear statements yeah. and things like that. Um, 
Yeah, or you could just flat out do, yeah, like a blatant, we don't like you, Donald Trump yeah. kind of thing. I have a sense um, that they, they would kind of just steer away from any kind of political reasoning behind it and just kind of lean straight into a more straightforward action. I feel like, yeah, and unless a certain studio picked it up, yeah. I think, yeah, you'd be right. It'd just go action path. Yeah. Um, it'd be fascinating if they did. Um, take it that, that other way but I'd, I would be very surprised yeah which is interesting because this is very much not an action film no it's like almost borderline drama-y like yeah. not it's much almost... like yeah <laughs> yeah it, pretty much like there's the bit where he um, you know the crazies and he sort of has to run away from them that's but one. that's not even that action-y that's like no, it's just him breaking some windows and yeah like closer to horror maybe because they do kind of resemble zombie-ish kind of yeah creatures but yeah and then there's like um i guess there's the the boxing match yeah and then there's a car chase sort of yeah not even really yeah barely um but that's what i mean it is not that no high stakes action no it's just a nice interesting world like like we've been saying from the beginning the premise is great yeah and let's just not let's have that be our kind of predominant thing and then just kind of Yep. Check something around it, and then and then they have some very um, clear cut characters. And what what do you think of the characters? I like. I mean, I was talking before yeah. about how I dig Snake because he is just a. The second you look at, it, he's like one of those classic visual styled characters. Yep. I, I put him in the same kind of league as like, you know, and this might sound hyperbolic, but like you know, Darth Vader, Indiana Jones, the Terminator. Like, like Terminator. you know what you're going to get. The second you see yeah. that character, James Bond as well. Like you yeah. know who you're looking at, what t- immediately what type of character yep. they are. And I think Kurt really cleverly knows to lean back and yep. not... He's hamming it up, but he's not... Flamboyantly hamming it yeah. up. Yeah. yeah. He's not Ernest Borgnining it. And he's not um, Dennis Hoppering it in Waterworld. Yes! That's like that's the <laughs> other way you could go with this kind of character. Yeah, but, and that maybe Costner tried to do exactly that in Waterworld. But just um, f- forgot that, like, you know, that character's awful. Ugh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but what about the other characters? Okay, I love Ernest Borgnine in this film. Yes, he, Cabby. He, he, like, I just love whenever you see an Academy Award winning actor just... Go for it and yes. play. Like when you first see him in the audience of that weird, weird show. Yeah. <laughs> that theatre show. But again, that's something that's like never really explained. No. But you're like, yeah, I guess that would probably happen. It probably would. And yeah. then I'm like, they got you know, this is just this weird... They say that they've made their own world in this in Manhattan. And mm. then um, he tells them not to go downstairs and it's pretty creepy down there. Yeah. But it only touches on that. Um, thankfully, it doesn't dwell on it. Um, but yeah, at the moment you see him. He... Yeah. I always get the sense of, like, he says, I've been driving a cab here for 30 years. So I'm like, we, were you, did you just stay? Like, oh, that's we, a good point, because the prison's only been around for nine years at yeah, that point. Yeah, so that's what I mean. I'm yeah. like, wait, like, what? Huh. It's an interesting character so where you're just like... New York citizen. Yeah. Who, I'm like, did you just stay? Or were you always, like... Or did you get arrested immediately? Yeah. <laughs> to, so you could still be a New York cab driver? Like, it's... Yeah. And he's got this kind of childlike... Yeah, interesting. He's a really cool little guy. That's a very (laughs) good point. I didn't think about that. And but um, yeah, he just kind of. My only kind of quibble with this film is the the way that characters kind of float in and out. Yeah, they don't um really conveniently. Yeah, they yeah like when Cabby shows up again after disappearing for ages. Yeah, hey, I'm here. And it like conveniently (laughs) worked out. Like I do like the fact that he traded his hat for the tape and things. And oh, true. Yeah, and they've established early on that he is playing music in his car, like. His tapes are his treasured yeah. items, kind yeah. of thing. Like it's all set up, but it is a lot of 
by convenience arriving. Yeah, like he rocks up at the World Trade Center on the correct side of a very big block of land. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, um, and I do, but I do love, love, love Harry Dean Stanton. As brain? Yeah. I, I'm just a big diehard Harry Dean Stanton fan. I think yep. he's one of those, like, um, was one of those incredible character actors. Yeah. appeared in everything and was always great. He, he very clearly knows what film he's in. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and he's kind of playing it very B-grade, and but he's doing, like, some odd line deliveries. Oh, I know you pointed out that one in particular where he's telling, convincing um, Duke to spare um, Snake's life. Snake Plissken, Duke. The man sent him in here. Something's going down. We need him. Yeah, and you're just like, I don't know if that's bad or good. It just, it's yeah, different. Like, it works, thankfully. You're like, you don't know whether he just wasn't trying and didn't care. Or he was like, I'm in a B-grade yeah. kind of sci-fi film. I'm going to play that kind of schlocky... Yeah, so, yeah. yeah it's it odd. works for the tone of the film. Mm. And, um, and his character's an interesting one because he's this... Like, exactly what characters in that kind of universe would be. They'd be look out for oneself. Yeah, scheming, tri- double, triple, Yeah, he's, he's not a murderer, he's brain. Yeah. Um, but he, yeah, he's that, exactly, he's a double crosser. Um, but you do get the sense that he and Maggie do really care for They have other. a bond, yeah. Yeah, and that's like, he, the only other person he would look out for other than himself is Maggie and vice versa. Yeah. Which is kind of great. Despite the fact that Adrian Barbo does not have much to do in this film. All she gets to do is wear a low-cut top and throw bricks. Yeah, she got in a brick fight, which was kind of cool. Like that brick fight. <laughs> and then immediately get hit by the Duke's car. Yeah, actually she killed those guys in the office. That was her one shining moment. Yeah. And then she wasted four of her six rounds shooting at the Duke's car from too far away. And, it's such and then an she an... got squashed by a car. It's such a weird anticlimactic. Like, oh, damn. Like, you kind of knew that clearly she made a decision to stay and die alongside um, Brain. Yes. But... Like, it wasn't even... She didn't even achieve anything. Yeah. Like, she, if she shot out Duke's tyre or something and forced him to crash... Yeah. Then at least you're like, that's the, the classic, like, oh, she slowed him down. I've, I found it... That's the one thing as well where it's like they're navigating the bridge full of landmines because they have got Brain's map. Yep. And he tells them to go left and then... It, he's obviously got it wrong or whatever. Yeah, and but it's a, it's a whole funny... But the Duke following in his car has managed to get all the, sa- the same length as them without hitting a single one. I know. Who needs the map? Yeah, yeah. that's why I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> Harry's, um, sorry, um, Brain's death explosion is awesome. It's great. Just clearly a well, Yeah, well done, <laughs> like. <laughs> and, and then, I guess, with the Duke. Oh, good old oh, Isaac Hayes. Oh, you got real excited when you saw his name in the Just credits. Speak, uh, when you saw his name in the opening credits, like, no way, not the Isaac Hayes. Hello there, children! And then, um... And then when you see the cars going from the dis- distance and the synth music kicks in as always, but this has that slightest funk beat to it. Oh, you're like... Entrance. And his car. Oh my gosh. I'm with, like, no, is this is this him coming now? And <laughs> just look at you. Big smile with oh. a Cadillac lowered with chandeliers on the bonnet. Chandeliers on the bonnet. And a giant disco ball. Like, so great. Not spinning, not nothing, just sitting on the hood. Just or like, just on the dash. Yeah. <laughs> But that's what I mean. Like, it is the production design and everything yeah. that makes this film so awesome to watch. Yeah, and and like you said at the start, like Carpenter's synth music, it's a very simple score. Yeah. Um, it really is just him, like, noodling on a piano. Yeah. <laughs> like, half the songs are just, like, the same one or two, three maximum notes just over and over. Like a lot of synth music, I guess. Yeah. But, Apparently um, how he records his scores is he just has the movie playing on a screen and just 
fiddles. That makes plays. sense. I, to me, I'm not a really a musician at all. But although I think, like with this one, he must have gone in like with I've composed the main theme, and I'm guessing yeah. similar to like Halloween as well. Like yes, because the main theme to this movie is so great. Yeah, it is actually like once it hit the the closing credits and it was playing again. I'm like, yeah, I, now I'm very familiar with it. This yeah, is it's, good. it's so solid. Mm. Mm. But um, Isaac Hayes, jumping back to him, like, had you seen him in anything before? South Park. Yeah. Yeah, no, <laughs> I hadn't. I, I know a little, the littlest bit of his music and I know he's got a very extensive musical career, but I didn't realise he did more than voice acting. Yeah, had, had a, a <laughs> little bit of an acting career. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he was he was fine in that role. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it doesn't demand much. Doesn't though. ask for a lot. Just big hands for those awesome gloves. Yep, and just be a bombastic, yep, guy menacing someone who you would imagine people following, and mm. um, he nails it. Yeah. Well, it's also we should probably bring up the other staple uh, John Carpenter actor in Donald Pleasance. Yes, because he'd been in a Halloween obviously before this, and mm-hmm. then would later do things like Prince of Darkness. Yep. Um, Halloween 2 and things with, uh, with him. And yep. Yeah, yep. so um, he was great, I think. He, he Yeah, he was actually because... He, kind of aging alcoholic, he yes. okay. Because <laughs> um, he played the president as a civilian very well. Yeah. Like, particularly as a very bureaucratic um, civilian, at quite a blank canvas kind of one. You kind of forget that he had his finger cut off very early and mailed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, okay, um... But then at the end, once he's all safe, he's back to just being this heartless president of America. And again. you realise, like, oh, he is just... Yeah. yeah this he, is... He's this... He can forget about the people again. He's safe. Mm. Um, you're like, ah, oh, okay. Yeah. And so that little transformation at the end, I thought, was, was quite good. Mm, because, like, all leading up to that, he is playing, like, this weak, innocent, almost childlike... There's that great moment where Snake's, like, telling, yells at him to stop shaking. Stop shaking. I can't. Who are you? And, yeah. and you're like, oh, so you are just a wounded, weak, innocent kind of human. Yeah. yeah. And then... And he doesn't ever try and steal any scenes or anything. No. He's more just there for the ride. Yeah. He knows he is the um, he's the vessel for the whole film, really. Yeah. He's there for a sweet, sweet paycheck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and all he has to do is handcuff a briefcase to his wrist for half, half the film, and that's and about it. And hide that he's got a finger cut off kind of yes. thing. Yes. Yeah. Put a big bulky bandage on one hand, and yeah. that's that. <laughs> Yeah, but no, he's solid. He's mm. he's fine. But it is it is Kurt Russell's film. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and this was like very clearly the star maker film for him. Yep. Between this and like, despite the fact that it didn't do all that well, but like, no. Between like, yeah, his his work that he did with Carpenter, I think it just established him as cool character actor guy. Like, yeah. Who could sometimes be a leading man? Yeah, because like, um, obviously, so after this, he did the thing. Yes. Um. And in that, he plays a similar kind of character, like yeah. that, almost like um, isolated, because he's not really particularly close from memory with me- members of the base team. Well, he's the one non-scientist. He's That's the, right. he's, um, he's he's the, the helicopter, helicopter pilot. pilot. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and you forget as well that The Thing is essentially an ensemble film. Yes. Like, he's not really the lead until... Not until towards the end where... The blood not... test scene, really. Oh, yes, of course. And then, yeah, there's very few people left. Yeah. Um... Yeah, he's just part of the, the, the crew. You kind of know that he's the lead, but... Because he's Kurt Russell. Because <laughs> he's Kurt Russell and he just gets the the way the scenes fall and a... But, um, and he's effortlessly charismatic. Yes. Yeah, I, I remember finding that really surprising when I watched The Thing years ago. Because mm. I knew it was his film, basically. Yeah. Um, but I was just surprised by, like, yeah, how he wasn't... Um, 
hogging the screen or anything like that. He's, I'm like, oh, it was almost disappointing to begin with, but by the end of the film, I'm like, oh, oh no, that works really well. <laughs> yeah, you just, like, yeah, you're expecting, like, he seems like one of those actors that has, like, a stigma of being a hammy, over-the-top kind of guy. Yeah. But he's not really. No, no. I mean, um, there are a couple of films where he really hams it up and goes over-the-top, like, Captain Ron and things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Less about that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> like, yeah, and, I mean... Then a lot of the comedic stuff, like Overboard with Goldie Horn and Swing Shift and stuff. Oh, I seen like, Overboard. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, but he's solid. I, I'm a big fan. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't tell. Yeah, yeah. Can, no, it's very, very apparent. Um, I haven't seen um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yet, but he looks good in the trailers. Yeah, he's not in it much, because that's no. like a big yeah. ensemble kind of film. But yes. Yeah. But when he's in it, he's, yeah. He's solid. <laughs> Sweet. Um, but, no, look, I, I enjoyed that. And I think growing up, I would have loved it. Yeah. Um, like if you saw this around like maybe twelve, thirteen, maybe that's yeah, I think the so. Sweet spot. Yep, yep. I, yeah. I'm not unlike you. I don't know if I could have. Well, I probably would have watched it when I was eight. But I think I, if I watched it around like twelve, thirteen, it would have been like, oh, cool. This movie's rad. Yeah, yeah. Because you're right. Like your, your mum was spot on. It's a very good entry point one. Yeah. Like apart from like a hand getting shot off here or there. Yeah. There's not much violence. There's I don't think any real nudity. There's very no. little swearing. Like it's yeah, it's it's pretty relatively clean. Like what have we got here? We just got an M rating here, so not MA. Yeah, I mean it's it's an R US one. Because, Is it really? Yeah, it's not PG thirteen. Oh, although it could kind. of I would have be. thought like way back then it would have been. Mm, well, PG thirteen didn't exist back then. Oh yeah. PG thirteen came in in like eighty four. Oh okay. With um. Yep. Yeah, it was created because of things like Poltergeist, Gremlins, and um, yeah, uh, Temple of Doom. Like, yeah, none of them are. Like, art. <laughs> yeah, none of them yeah. are, but also none of them should be PG either. No, like, yeah, they should be just that little bit higher. Yeah, yeah. so <laughs> yeah, ah, cool. But um, do you want to hear a little bit of info about the film? Yes. Yeah. All right. So it had a budget of roughly six million dollars. Okay. Which um, yeah, it's pretty decent for like. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, pretty is what they achieved on such a kind of low budget. Yeah, particularly with a decent cast. Yeah. Like, you actually got to pay the cast. Exactly. <laughs> and they've got, they've got a big-name cast in mm. this. Um, and it went on to gross $25.2 million at the US box office. Okay, so percentage return is solid. Yeah, so it made its money back and then some. But it was the 32nd highest grossing film of yeah. 1981. Yeah, that wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me. So it kind of helps it track as a cult. cult. Yep. Yeah. And this was kind of like, um, Carpenter never really had a success post-Halloween, really. No, not in terms of the way it... Yeah, yeah. because after Halloween he did The Fog, which was a critical and commercial bomb. Yes. And then followed that up with this, which was also not... Not massive. No. Yeah, and then The Thing tanked and people hated it when it came out. Did they really? Yeah. Yeah, the people savaged that in the reviews. They just did not get it. No. And they yeah, just I thought mean, it was gore for the sake of gore. And Yeah, like, I guess... If you compare it to this, it's definitely pretty different. Yeah. Um, but it was nominated, uh, Escape from New York, I'll say. It was nominated for four Saturn Awards for Best Science yep. Fiction Film, Best Director, Best Costume, and Best Makeup. So Yeah, okay. Didn't win any of them, but yeah. Yep. Um, oh, I teased at the beginning when we were watching the film, it opens with that narration. About oh, yes, about the, yes, mm. the um, description of the state of the world and Manhattan being a prison. The once great city of New York becomes the one maximum security prison for the entire country. 
A 50-foot containment wall is erected along the New Jersey shoreline, across the Harlem River, and down along the Brooklyn shoreline. Yeah, uh, that is also done by a... that's a cameo by a John Carpenter regular. Um... No, I don't know. Jamie Lee Curtis. Actually, I was about to say that. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah, that is uh, Jamie was, Lee doing I, the narration. I made it, I'm like, no, nah, I can't think of a female actress. And Ooh. then I'm like, oh, Halloween, come on. I had no idea about it. Wow. And then yeah. sitting here watching it today, I was just like, oh my God. I'm like, yeah, that is definitely her. Yeah. Cool. Oh, that's awesome. Cool. <laughs> but on that, on that kind of note, do you want to hear some alternate casting? Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, the studio executives originally wanted Tommy Lee Jones for the role of Snake. I don't think I've ever seen... I mean, young Tommy Lee Jones. Has he ever been young? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's just been old. Yeah, he came I, out old. Exactly. I mean, like, Men in Black, he was like a thousand years old. And then yes. No Country for Old Men, he was like 2,000 years old. <laughs> um, so I don't think I've seen Tommy Lee Jones from an older film. Yeah, you got to go like some older 70s stuff, like Rolling Thunder and things. Like, uh, you get yeah. a little bit of a... He kind of always had that kind of acne-scarred kind of cheek face yes, kind yep, of which thing. Which makes it look a bit older, naturally. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, kind of that chiseled, gruff look. Um, yeah, they didn't think Kurt Russell was right for the role, uh, based on his prior work, which I yep. kind of teased at the beginning. He was a child mm. star. And, yes, know, fair enough. Um, yeah, and Kurt Russell had to work and pitch himself to kind of get that role. And yep. actually, Carpenter went to bat for him because they were buddies. And, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, the studio also wanted Charles Bronson for the role. Oh, yes, okay. Uh, but Carpenter refused on the grounds that he was too old. Tonight, we review an aging Charles Bronson in Death Wish 9. I wish I was dead. Hey. <laughs> Which is like, yeah. I guess it would yeah. fit the, the war hero veteran yeah. sort of thing. But it's like he's the same age as like Lee Van Cleef there. It's too yeah, old. Yeah, it starts getting a bit old there. Yeah, um... And also, uh, Nick Nolte and Jeff Bridges were approached for the role. Nick Nolte was approached for everything back in the day. Yeah, he was a massive star. Back yeah. Then. Um, and he's a good actor, so... Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah. But now he just sounds like he's gargling hot asphalt. Oh, I know, yeah. At points. Oh, gravelly. <laughs> he smoked all the cigarettes ever. Yeah, none left. Yeah. But um, it's kind of interesting Jeff Bridges was approached, because then uh, three years later he would work with Carpenter in a movie called Starman. Oh. Which I yeah. earned him his uh, second Academy Award nomination, actually. Really? Yeah, it's oh, a great wow. little movie, that one. Okay. Yeah. Sweet. Um, what else was there? Uh, Chris Christopherson was considered for the lead as well. Oh, yes. But yeah. they, they ended up not approaching him after Heaven's Gate came out and was a map, like the, one oh, of the yes. biggest flops ever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but then I found this one interesting. This is flat out original cast, like... Someone was cast in a role initially, but then had to drop out. Yes. Warren Oates was originally set to play Brain, but he was, Ill, but then he fell ill. Yeah. You probably don't know who Warren Oates is. Mm, he's he not jumping to mind. An older kind of character actor. You'll become very familiar with him okay. when we eventually watch Stripes this season. Ah, okay, cool. Uh, but he was also a member of the Wild Bunch and things, like an older yeah, character actor. Yeah, from that bunch. Yeah, group. Mm, he was in quite a few Peck and Pa films, like Bring Me the Head of Alfonso Garcia and things. And Okay. Yeah. Um, but he became ill and had to drop out, and he recommended his friend Harry Dean Stanton oh, wow. for the role. Jeez, um, lucky Harry. Yeah, but it turns out uh, Oates ended up dying later that year, a year after a... Oh, my gosh. Kind of, yeah, so it was okay. All right. Um, oh. And the character of Maggie was written specifically for Adrian Barbeau because yep. she was married to John Carpenter at the time. Oh, yeah, right. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's why she got no lines. I guess. Yeah, uh, who knows. I like Adrian Barbeau. She's, she's solid. Yeah. But, uh, oh, well. 
Yeah, what can you do? <laughs> yeah, it's all that. What's done is done. But yeah, I mean, uh, I love this film a lot. I grew up on it. Um, yeah. I can very clearly see it has some holes and like why other people might not love it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's just a nice little weird mood piece. Yeah, I think if you go in expecting it to be this like really like top shelf epic like classic sort of action movie it's not that yeah it's a really um, good hangout film like yeah. you put on with a group of friends and like have a couple yeah. of beers and just have it and you don't have to be like riveted and paying attention all the time like it's yeah no you can exactly and it's just um like because it's not as though there's like these big like smack down one liner moments that you really want to like be watching and really like yeah. Whoa. You don't have your like your arty quips. No, exactly like, right. Yeah, or like so. the big explosions and deaths. It's a like we said, it's not really an action film. No. It's so just a mood piece and it's kinda cool. Go in for a slower, stranger cult. It's it's a it's a cult it's film. It's a very John <laughs> yeah. Carpenter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, Which um, is not quite what I expected in mm. terms of the yeah. Expecting to be a bit grander, I guess, but um it suits it fine. Yeah, Carpenter never really goes grand no. with anything really no. so it's kind of interesting and yeah. I don't like that yeah mm. but I guess unless you got anything else that'll probably wrap us up for Escape from New York yeah no that's me nice well you know what time it is everyone it's time to shuffle the papers and pick the episode for next time which is going to be <laughs> Big Trouble in Little China oh Okay, <laughs> double feature time almost. So there we go, back to back. Back to back, Carpenter and Russell. Well, that'll that'll actually be really good. So we've got an interesting, <laughs> interesting open to this season. But yeah. um, that that's actually going to um actually really work really well. Yeah, and it's gonna be oh it's, that'll actually work great as like a nice little counterpoint. Yeah. To see, like yeah, it is a totally different film. Is this the one where the guy's head gets really big? Maybe. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> there could be some trouble in. Chinatown. Oh, fantastic. Could be big, I don't know. Might, might, we'll, be, might be small. Yeah, we'll find out. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, tune in in a fortnight's time when Eric watches Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> fantastic. What good timing. Uh, for this week's episode, I'm Chris. I'm Eric, and we'll catch you next time for more Johnny C and Curtie R. <laughs> <laughs>